the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Acts. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. Water baptism is simply the expression, the demonstration that someone has turned from their ways and turned towards God and put their faith and trust in Him. Repent is a big deal. It's a big word. It's an important word. I know it's typically not a street word. You know, around the office, you don't say to people, your coworker, have you repented lately? There is a good word all through the Bible because it addresses the problem of human nature. We all, by nature, are in rebellion to God. Oftentimes, religion is made out to be rituals and rules. People are turned off by the idea that if they go to church, they'll have to change everything about themselves. In today's message, Pastor Gary wants you to know that this notion couldn't be further from the truth. God wants nothing more than to give a springboard to flourish and be the person you were always meant to be. If you want to hit the pavement running and experience your true purpose, Accept God's free gift of grace. He has a place prepared for you. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Acts chapter 2 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. All this talk here about Wonders in the heaven above, signs on the earth below, blood and fire, billows of smoke, sun turned to darkness, the moon to blood. All of that has to do with a description of the, the time of the tribulation, which, which are seven years of tribulation that will come upon the earth before the coming of the Lord. And, and that's the sequence here because uh, he gets through saying all these things that the sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. Now, by the way, again, notice, this is another reason why I think 1 Corinthians 13, when we talk about have the gifts ended, have they ceased with the completion of Scripture? No, I don't think 1 Corinthians 13, 10 is a reference to the completion of Scripture. It's a reference to the perfected state of the saint in the presence of the Lord. And this is more evidence here in Acts chapter 2, why the gifts will continue. And that they didn't fade away at the completion of the canon of Scripture. Because all of these signs and wonders of prophecy, visions, and dreams, if you look at the context of all this, all of this continues right up until the tribulation time and the coming of the Lord. When the Lord comes, the gifts will cease. Until the Lord comes, the gifts are still in operation. Visions and dreams and prophecies, those didn't end. Because Joel clearly says here, and Peter's quoting it, that all these signs and wonders will carry on right up until the great and glorious day of the Lord and his return. 
Now, just to make sure that we're all on the same page here about, about these events, um, this is a blood moon picture. I mean, some of you have been really fascinated by this kind of thing. In September 27th and 28th of this year, there was this blood moon. Um, and, um, you know, it makes for interesting discussion. Those of you who are into, like, the discussion about the Shemitah and the blood moon and is this part of the return of the Lord. Um, I read, uh, if I can find it here, I read that um, in, the, uh, in the 21st century, they can already... Scientists can already, you know, plot these things out. So between 2001 and 2100, uh, there will be a total of eight what are called tetrads, which are total lunar eclipses. Uh, and so we just had one back in September 27th, 28th of this year. And there are a lot of people who, you know, knowing this this prophecy here, and I'm going to tie it together in Revelation chapter 6 in a minute. They're like, okay, the blood moon, maybe it's a sign of, of the coming of the Lord. Um, by the way... Um, if we include all the centuries from the 1st century A.D. through the 21st century, there are a total of 62 total lunar eclipses. So uh, basically the lunar eclipse, I mean, I'm not, I'm not all that savvy scientifically, but so, you know, just as studying up on it. So you have the sun, you have the earth, and you have the moon, and the earth separates the sun from the moon. And, and what happens is that um, when the earth overshadows the moon, the light from the sun around the earth creates like this halo effect that projects onto the moon and the earth's atmosphere, you know, the particles of the atmosphere, then the sun, the particles then end up projecting red onto the moon. So it looks like a red moon or a blood moon. I'm sure those of you with scientific backgrounds can explain that much better than what I just did, but that's the layman's interpretation. And so some have looked to the blood moon and they thought, you know, maybe this is, this could be the great and coming day of the Lord. Um, it is tied into the coming of the Lord. But listen, the blood moon that is referred to here has to do with the tribulation period. And if you hold to the position as I do that the Bible teaches a pre-tribulation rapture of the church, we won't be here for the blood moon. We're going to be gone before the tribulation. This is part of the tribulation time. Uh, in your Bibles... Just so that we understand the context of what's happening here. Verse 20 uh, tells us that Jesus returns after the tribulation. And, and these signs happen before he returns. So in the margin of your Bible, you can uh, write down Revelation 6.12. Revelation 6.12, uh, talk about the beginning of the tribulation period. And there are the opening of six Seals. They're like, they're like scrolls that are sealed. And then, and each seal is opened up as the scroll is unwound. And it talks about in Revelation chapter six, the sixth seal that is opened, uh, will be a time that universal disasters are unleashed upon the earth. If you, if you look at Revelation chapter six, um, the, the six seals go like this. Seal number one, Antichrist comes onto the world scene. In this order, Antichrist comes into the world scene. Uh, seal number two, there's war that ensues on the earth. Seal number three, there's famine and economic collapse. Seal number four is the death of some unbelievers. Seal number five is the death of some believers who get martyred for their faith. And then seal number six is opened in Revelation 6.12. Listen to what it says. I watched... As he opened the sixth seal, there was a great earthquake. The sun turned black, 
like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red, and the stars in the sky fell to earth as late figs drop from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. Uh, In addition, back here in Acts chapter 2, if you want to write in the margin of your Bible, I put the verses up there for you. Matthew 24, 29, Jesus said immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. Luke 21, 25, Jesus said there will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. So what is being described back here in Acts 2 about the blood moon and, and, and the, the sun being turned to darkness fits right in with Revelation 6.12. And it's the opening of the sixth seal, which means this is the tribulation time. The church is taken from the earth before the tribulation. We will not be here to see the blood moon. So if you see other blood moons in the course of your life, I think the next one on the calendar is supposed to be like, like 2032, something like that. If you happen to see it, you know, don't be alarmed because the end is not here. If you're able to see it as a believer, at least, if you're still here and you're seeing the blood moon, there's something wrong. You need to get your life right with Christ. That's all I got to say to you. And so these are those events. And then it talks about here, back here in Acts 2.20, that Jesus returns after the tribulation. It's a great and glorious day. And, verse 21, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There will be a time of great salvation. Zechariah chapter 12, the prophet Zechariah prophesies about the return of Christ. And he says in 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 Zechariah 12.10, that God says, I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, a spirit of grace and supplication, and they will look on me, the one that they have pierced. This is Jesus talking prophetically through Zechariah. They will look on me, the one that they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. Listen to what Zechariah says. He says that when Christ returns, that the survivors on earth at the end of the tribulation period particularly the Jews, Zechariah says, will look upon Jesus and they will see the marks of his crucifixion in his glorious body when he returns and they will weep and they will mourn because they will recognize and their eyes will be open and the light bulb will go off. This is the Christ that has always been talked about that we have rejected. And now, you see, because God pours out a spirit of grace and supplication among the survivors, many of them will turn to Christ and they will put their faith in him and it will be a great day of salvation. That's why Zechariah 13, 9, God says, and they will call on my name and I will answer them and I will say they are my people and they will say the Lord is our God. So it will be a great day of of salvation for those who survive. Many of them will put their faith and trust in Christ. But many will, be, will die and be killed during the period of the tribulation period and will die and go to their graves defiantly rebellious against the Lord. And that will be tragic. But in the return of the Lord, there's this great glorious day because with him comes salvation as then he brings an end to the tribulation period. And he's victorious at the battle of Armageddon, which is the climax of of the tribulation time. And then the Lord will rule and reign on earth for a thousand years. So so Peter's quoting all this from Joel because he says, listen, the gifts are being poured out. This is what Joel said was going to happen. And the gifts are functioning in visions and dreams and prophecy up until this great day of tribulation and the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Peter goes on to preach here. Let's keep reading. Verse 22, he keeps on and he says, Men of Israel, listen to this. 
Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. Notice that. Jesus Christ did not die and was not crucified by chance. This was all the purpose and the timetable of God for the redemption and salvation of the world who would believe in Jesus Christ. That's why Isaiah and the prophet Isaiah in 53.10, he says, it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hands. Isaiah said, it was God's will that Jesus Christ should suffer and die for the sins of the world. But it's okay because he will prolong his days. The reference is he will raise him from the dead. He will not die. The grave will not be victorious over Jesus. He will rise again. And Peter here is going to preach the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He quotes Joel, Jewish scripture, to Jewish ears, all these bystanders. And then he says, all right, now let me give you the application here. All of this stuff, the signs, the gifts, the Holy Spirit, what it really comes down to is Jesus. And you all need to understand Jesus. And so that's why he says there, this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, this is kind of in their grill, notice what he says, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on the cross. He's not afraid of weak preaching. He's like, by the way, you guys killed him. He's like, everybody's like, what in the world is going on here? All these gifts and things we hear? Well, this is what what was prophesied by the prophet Joel. These guys aren't drunk. By the way, it all comes down to the true message and the meaning of Jesus Christ, who who was crucified, dead, and buried three days later, rose from the dead. And by the way, even though it was part of God's divine timetable and his purpose, you people nailed him there. And you know the truth of the matter is? Every single one of us nailed Jesus to the cross. Because it was my sin that he died for. It was your sin that he died for. We're all culpable in that sense. You can't blame the Jews. You can't blame the Romans. All of us were the ones that nailed him to the cross. Because Jesus went there on our behalf to pay the price and and to, to expunge our record paid in full and to forgive us of our sins. All of us nailed him to the cross. What Peter is saying here is true about humanity in general. Verse 24, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, and he's quoting here from Psalm 16, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope. Because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Now, hold on to that because Peter's going to explain it here. But David is in Psalm 16 here talking about the Holy One. He's talking about the Messiah, but he's talking about himself. It's kind of a dual meaning here, and Peter's going to explain it. Verse 29, brothers... I can tell you confidently that the, da- that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. In other words, Peter's saying David couldn't have been talking about himself in the sense that he was going to live forever, because I can take you to his grave. But David was pointing to the idea of life after death, 
And he's expressing it through the person of the Holy One. That's why he would live after he died. Read on verse 30. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. We know that Jesus was a descendant of David. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Your attention again. So what he says is David was writing prophetically about the Messiah who would come and who would live and die and be raised from the dead. But because Messiah would live and be raised from the dead, David then could say, in a sense, I've been raised, I won't see decay because I'm going to live forever through faith in Messiah and what Christ will do on the cross. He's speaking prophetically, of course. And, and Peter says, listen, God raised him from the dead. We're all witnesses of the fact. It's fact. I know we're so far removed from it today that there are a lot of skeptics in the world who think, I don't, I don't think Jesus really rose from the dead. But it was clear in the first century, and by faith we accept and believe, that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. It was fact, and it is fact. And that's how Peter presents it. And nobody disagrees. There's no interjection of, of dissent here where people said, you know what, that's your opinion, but it's not really fact. Have you read the latest edition of Newsweek magazine? I mean, they kind of dispute that whole thing. You know what I'm saying to you? But they don't do any of that because they understand it's fact. Verse 33, exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, Okay, God said to my Lord Jesus, Messiah, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Christ just means Messiah. And when the people heard this, notice, notice here, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Notice the phrase, they're cut to the heart. It means they were convicted. They experienced this conviction, this piercing of their heart. They heard the preaching of the gospel. Again, what did Peter do? He basically preached the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He gave them the gospel. And the gospel without the message of Jesus is no gospel at all. He did not focus on the manifestation of the Spirit as the primary focal point. And, so, and sadly, today, in some circles, it's all about the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, the power of the Spirit. And that's wonderful. I believe in all that. But the centrality must be Jesus, Jesus crucified, and Jesus resurrected. He is the one by whom we have eternal life. And Peter preaches Christ and Christ crucified and Christ resurrected from the dead. They get convicted and they say, what do we need to do? That, that's a preacher's dream right there. All right. When you preach your heart out and then people are like, what do we got to do? I just want to get saved. I don't know. I don't know what I have to do, but I just, I want to come clean. I want to get right with God. And notice what Peter says here. Peter replied, verse 38, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. Who's that? 
That's us. For all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Real quickly here, and then I got a couple of things to say, and then we'll pause because our time has escaped us. First thing he says to them, you have to repent. You have to repent. Repent is sometimes called the first word of the gospel. Because in Matthew 3, 2, John the Baptist, first words out of John the Baptist, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Then Jesus comes along in his ministry after John the Baptist, Matthew 4, 17, says the same thing. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Now Peter preaches the first evangelical message of the New Testament church. And what does he say? Repent. You need to repent. Repent is the Greek word metanoeo, from two words, meta meaning to change, noeo meaning to exercise the mind or the way of thinking. In other words, repentance is having a change of mind about the path that you're on and turning from that and turning to God. That's what repentance is. It is realizing that you are on a wrong path You're opposed to God because you're on a wrong path. You're in rebellion to God because you're on a wrong path. You're not living in the will of God because you're on the wrong path. And you turn and you go 180 degrees. And you turn from the path that you're on and you turn towards God. See, when we're in rebellion against the Lord, we're just basically living a life of complete opposite for what God has in, uh, in mind for us. So we're on a path that is in the opposite direction of where God is. Repentance means We stop going the opposite direction. We do an about face and we run towards God. That's what repentance is. He says repent and then he says be baptized. He's talking about water baptism. Water baptism is not required for salvation. But water baptism is simply the action. Repentance leads to action. And so water baptism is a demonstration of an internal decision. How does somebody know that you've repented? You can't look into somebody's heart and know. If somebody says, I repent of my ways, how do you know that? Well, baptism is a demonstration that someone has repented and turned from their way and turned towards God, confessed their sin, gotten right with God. Water baptism is simply the expression, the demonstration that someone has turned from their ways and turned towards God and put their faith and trust in him. Repent is a big deal. It's a big word. It's an important word. I know it's typically not a street word. You know, around the office, you don't say to people, your coworker, have you repented lately? It is a good word all through the Bible because it addresses the problem of human nature. We all, by nature, are in rebellion to God. We're born into sin. We live a life that way. We are naturally bent towards rebellion against God. Repentance means we acknowledge we're on the wrong path opposed to him. We turn and we run towards him. Some people think, I got to get my life together before I can run towards God. No, 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 no. Hear me on this. Repentance means you take your miserable, messed up life as it is and you run towards God. Jesus died for that. Does everyone understand that? You don't have to try to, I'm going to get my act together and then one day I'm going to get serious and turn towards God. (laughs) That day will never happen because you and I can't get our act together. That's why we need the one who gets our lives together for us. 
We put our faith and trust in Jesus. We turn from our wicked way. We surrender to him. We yield our lives to his lordship. And he becomes Lord and Christ Messiah in our lives. That's all for today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. What are some things you've taken away from the messages here in Acts? Would you let us know? You can get in touch with us by sending an email to prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. While you're sharing what you've learned, feel free to send us a prayer request so we can know how to be praying for our listeners. That email again is prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. Our radio ministry is an outpouring of what's going on here at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary teaches every Sunday at 8.30, 10, and 11.45 a.m. We also meet at 7 p.m. on Wednesdays. To learn more about who we are, go to cornerstoneconnection.cc. We're so happy that you're part of our listening audience, and we'd be delighted to meet you and hear your faith journey. Like so many of the people mentioned in Acts, there's much transformation that happens in a person's heart when they seek to follow after God. We hope that's the case for you, too. All that to say, we hope you'll continue to tune in to these messages and keep growing as you dig into the book of Acts with us. We'll be right here, same time, same place, at Cornerstone Connection. No place to go, but still you know, still you know you're not alone. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.